welcome to our podcast, it's, It Takes a Village. Today we're going to be speaking with Saba, a parent of a child living with autism from Georgia. Welcome, Saba. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to have you. Um, I'd love to get uh, to hear a little bit more about yourself and your son. So uh, I am basically a stay-at-home mom, and my son, he was diagnosed with autism when he was uh, around two years old. And uh, yeah. Uh, oh, fantastic. When did you realize your son may need an assessment? So uh, basically, like, I think uh, the doctor started asking me, like, on every pediatrician visit, we'd have, like, milestone check, and at his one-year visit, the doctor was like, does he point at things? Does he respond to his name? He didn't used to point at things, and he didn't respond to his very often, very often. So because of that, I had some concerns that he's not catching up to his milestones, and at 18-month visit, uh, my pediatrician at like at the end of the visit, she gave me this like multiple choice question questionnaire. She's like, okay, can he do this, do this? And it has like uh, fine motor skills and verbal skills and gross motor skills. So he was caught up on his gross motor skills, but with fine motor skills and verbal skills, she was like, oh, he's significantly behind. We need to start early intervention now. I would give you a name of a therapist. And, the, and she went so like fast on this and I kind of got like scared. I was like, uh-oh, what is early intervention? And what kind of intervention, is it like very invasive kind of procedures or what's going on? So she, she, because it was like at the end of, like almost we were done with the visit, that's when she told me and I, I kind of still regret not asking her in detail. What is early intervention? Why do we need it? What is she suspecting? So at that time, like at 18 months of age, I knew that he was not catching up to his like CDC rec recommended milestones. So it was primarily your doctor who was helping you um, to identify. Was there anything that was going on at that made you think that maybe you need to set up an extra appointment or was it just the milestone checks that really uh, brought your awareness to the need for an assessment? Uh, so at home, I mean, he was nonverbal at that time. I, and I distinctly remember that one, one and a half. And like, I had this like, uh, doubt in my mind like does she really remember like one and a half who talks at one and a half years old so like his being nonverbal was like a little concern concerning for me because I wasn't he wasn't able to point or communicate in any way and tell me like what's going on the only way we were communicating was by him crying and telling me like oh something's up and then I'll have to like guess and like figure out what's going on with him and so when you went to uh, your milestone checks, um, I know that you had spoke about how um, when your doctor had sort of identified that there were some delays that she went through things really quickly and it was a little bit overwhelming for you. Can you talk a little bit about how it felt when you went to those milestone checks and the doctor did confirm that the things you were seeing at home may need some follow-up like what were your feelings around this uh this process 
It was like, I didn't want to accept. It was total denial. I was like, there is nothing wrong with my kid. He's like, totally fine. <laughs> like, doctor, my I might not have uh, given the answer more accurately. And I wasn't thinking clearly when I fell out the form. And it was like total defense. Like, no, 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 something, nothing's up. Like, he's fine. He's doing fine. He'll catch up. So it started with some denial. And how did it progress over time? Like when she started rushing through talking about the early intervention process and really starting to guide you down that assessment process, did your um, emotional or mental state change throughout that? Or was it really just denial for quite some time that you were experiencing? Yes, it was denial for quite some time. And uh, like, so we were in the middle of like move to my husband had this job opportunity here in Georgia. So we were moving from New York to Georgia and it was like an 18 month visit. We were moving in two months and I said to her, I don't feel comfortable sending him to like any therapy. Can we wait a little bit? And we're moving. So she was like, look, I would suggest that you start early intervention right now, no matter what you're doing. But if you want to take some time, that's okay. So like we moved here, I came here and I had like his two year visit. That's when I talked to the pediatrician about all my concern and she referred to me like uh, Marcus Autism Center. And that's when I was like, I didn't know even at 18 months that he has autism. I just knew that uh, he's not catching up to his like what is expected of kids his age. And that's when she referred me to like Marcus Autism Center. That's when I started searching about like, what is autism and does he have autism? And it was like throughout denial, like denial, 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 like, no, 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 nothing's up. <laughs> and and what, what were your thoughts after you were given his diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder? Oh, I actually almost cried because I read a little bit here and there and I saw like, I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. You went out for just a moment. I'm so sorry. Oh, so like when, I, when he was diagnosed, I, I, I actually cried in the doctor's office because I, I told you like, I was in total denial. I was like, there is no way that something's up. He'll catch up. Like with kids, when they are six months old, they're supposed to sit and some kids, so at six months old, start sporting their bag at six and eight. And with walking, I actually read an article that said on internet, that was really good. I don't remember the website, but it was like, it's the talking is not like usual milestones. Like some kids would walk at 10 months old and some would walk at one year, some would walk at 15 months. Talking comes gradually. So if your kid by the age of two years doesn't speak 52 words, probably it's like speech delay, autism, ADHD, or something other than that. So you need an appointment. So that's when I actually, uh, because like our doctor gave us referral and Marcus Autism Center wasn't calling us back in time. So I had to call like a developmental pediatrician's office directly and they gave us an appointment. So that's how I got a little concerned by reading that article that, oh no, I need to do something about it. And it, so it sounds like you were definitely given some great feedback when you were in New York from your pediatrician about not meeting the milestones. And it sounds like it took a lot of effort on your part and following up in order to get the final diagnosis. Is that accurate for you? 
Yeah, what was because, that process like? Yeah, because like uh, if it's a little, for me, if it's like I'm calling uh, uh, the Mar uh, Marcus Autism Center where I am referred to like over and over again, I, I am unable to reach any representative. They're like, you're on a waiting list and we'll call you. And every day I am worried that something's up and I'm like, reading different articles on internet that say like oh don't worry about this and and i came across i i don't exactly remember the website but i came across this article and she was like a developmental pediatrician who wrote this article and she says like by the time your kid is one year old he should be speaking at least one word by the time they're 18 it should be like 10 to 12 words and by the time they're two years old they should be speaking 52 words if they are not then you need a child neurologist or developmental pediatrician or a psychologist appointment to identify what's wrong with them. That is what got me like working. And I called like multiple pediatricians before getting an appointment at like Children Healthcare of Atlanta. A child neurologist was uh, uh, accepted like our uh, request to have him have a look at him. Wow. And I, I think it's really fantastic that you touched on how much denial that you experience because the grieving process is so natural and expected when you learn about a diagnosis, especially like ASD with your child, because it, there's so many things that are going to change for your child now and being able to accept that um, takes some time. And I, I, I think it's a beautiful thing that um, you're able to express that now um did you find that that denial that there was a point where the denial changed and you went into acceptance or did you experience a lot of other emotions like um I hear that you definitely experienced some frustration and worry when trying to get in with a developmental psychologist um did those emotions and your mental state sort of change as you made progress towards the diagnosis and then after you got it or has this been ongoing for you uh no so they do so they did change because like i went from denial to know something's up and then realizing like oh it's autism and when i realized it's autism like i questioned for like a month and a half like I would say this, like, even though I was questioning whether the diagnosis is right or not, I followed the pediatrician's advice. He was like, let's find out ABA clinics near you. Let's find out who gives therapy. Call everyone. Be proactive. Don't wait for, like, when someone said you're on waiting list. It's going to be a year. Say this to catch up, follow up. And so I was doing all those things. And in my mind, I was like, oh, is it really odd? I'm like, how does he know? He just asked a few questions. <laughs> and now that I know, now I know, like I actually saw it on autismspeaks.org where it has like M chat and those are the 13 questions he asked me. And he said, like, based on my experience, he has autism. So I went like, uh, again, to denial for a month, a month and a half after that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's so great to hear that that process isn't linear, meaning that it doesn't just start and finish. It's kind of ongoing and to be expected. And I think this is a great opportunity for us to ask you, what advice would you have for parents who are new to the diagnosis or post-diagnosis process? I know you spoke about the pre-diagnosis is um you wish that you had had the opportunity to ask me questions, um, slow down a little bit and gather more information. Um, is there any other advice that you would give to parents during the diagnosis process? 
Yeah, I would say like even if you're in denial, if you even if you think nothing is wrong, there's nothing wrong in getting a like an evaluation. There is nothing wrong in asking questions. If you feel like they're telling you something like a early intervention therapy, and you're like, oh my god, what is this? I don't know how bad it would be. Ask questions like, what is it? How the procedure goes? Like, and after diagnosis, I would say like be proactive. Like. They call different places. I actually call like I think 40 plus clinics near Atlanta area to find therapy in kid. And I'm like not kidding. And I would call five or four clinics every day. And uh, I asked my pediatrician to give me a list of all the therapies that I could get. And I call like five, six every day. And the, uh, it came to a point where I couldn't find any therapy from the list that my pediatrician gave me. Then from autismspeaks.org, I couldn't find, and then I had to Google like ABA clinics near me. And that's when I find IBS, which is like, no kidding. <laughs> but like, I would say be proactive, like don't give up and keep on working towards getting like therapies and services. And if you are a little bit skeptical about something, it's okay, but it's just like ask questions, like be involved and don't be scared or intimidated by like, uh, something that someone tells you that you don't know about. That's such an excellent advice, Saba, because at the end of the day, you're the parent and you know, you're the expert on your child and being a full participant in that process is so important. Um, did it come natural to you or did it take you time to really, um, to feel comfortable with asking those questions and really being firm in your stance of wanting to be a full participant in this process? So, I mean, it came from the place of fear, not like natural. It's just like, it was me, like, I'm going to leave my kid with this therapist for 40 hours a week. I want to know what they're going to do and what their procedure is, how they're going to, like, my son had no experience living with someone else. And so he was like living with me for a year and a half, like almost two years, just alone, me and him home. His dad would come at night and that's it. <laughs> like, so I was like, I want to make, I wanted to make sure that they would treat him gently. They will, and they, I would say that like when I uh, uh, went to the KDN, the therapist, the BCBA, she was so nice. She was like, okay, if you want to sit in his session for first week, okay, do it. And I was like surprised because a lot, there was like what this one of this private clinic that offers ABA, they were like, we don't mind you if you want to observe, but I would recommend that you leave your kid and like that, that's how the, which is like totally true. Like if you leave your kid at the clinic, they'll, they'll have some problem behaviors, but eventually they'll get better. And that, that's what we did after a week. But yeah, I mean, I felt so included and I felt like, okay, they are listening to me and they care about what I think. And that's important, like, I think as a parent to like, just give you a peace of mind that your kid is going to be fine. Yeah, exactly. And how did you begin the process of finding an ABA provider? I, I know that you had said that you um, had called up, up to five providers a day, but Walk us through what that process was like from the start to the finish and what some of the things you were looking for in an ABA provider. Yeah, so uh, the uh, developmental pediatrician that uh, told uh, was the one that diagnosed Hisham was like, okay, so 
these are the list of ABA providers. Start looking for ABA. And he gave me the list and then he gave me like a, a, a link to Autism Speaks. And he says like they provide ABA near you. Uh, first of all, I had to like get uh, uh, approval from insurance. And he said, sometimes you'll have to hire advocate because they won't cover it. But luckily in our case, they did. They called us back like in an hour and they said like, oh, we cover audit, like ABA services. And so that's how I started looking for clinic. I was like, they said like, as long as it's a certain range of miles, we'll cover it. If it's like 30 miles plus, then we won't. So uh, I started looking within that area limit, like, okay, where can I find? And I called multiple clinics at time. And most of them were like, oh, either we're not accepting, either we have one year waiting list or, uh, we haven't started accepting therapy yet. It's like some kind of excuse I was getting, or even I wouldn't receive a call back. They would say like, oh, we'll call you back. And I, I wouldn't receive a call back and I'll call them again. And it's just like, it's really hectic process, but don't be like discouraged, keep going at it. And what were some of the questions that you were asking when you did start to get uh, phone calls back to be able to decide? Um, that you want to go with a specific ABA provider, how are you able to identify which one would work for you? Oh, so I basically, I was looking for one-on-one that I could get like either at home or at clinic. And these were the questions I was asking. Uh, a few of the clinics that I asked questions were like, they were like, oh, this is a 12 kids classroom and three of them have autism. And we have one BCBA who would like look at, look at, other kids what their milestones are and try to work with your kid on that. And I was like, I actually called my doctor back and I asked him like, what's better? And he said, you should look for a one-on-one therapy if you can. If you can, then it's okay to be like in a classroom environment. And were there specific uh, like values with companies that you were looking at? With providers, like I know you had said your experience with your current provider was that they really encouraged that full participation from you and um, really individualizing the program to fit what you felt was best. Did you recognize that those were identifiers that you could ask questions about before you started? Or was that something you learned afterwards? No, no, that's something I learned afterwards. And I didn't know that I could ask for these things like, hey, I want to be involved in. They actually told me in the beginning that we'll, uh, we'll, we'll involve you in the process. You'll be part of his team. And we'll, uh, they, they do parent training every week. And now that I hear a lot of stories online, parent sports group, like they tell like, oh, some clinics might like are not okay with you getting involved or they don't want to teach you. They just want to teach your kid. And I I had no, I just like had such a good experience. I had no idea that that could happen too. Yeah. It's something that you don't know sometimes until you're in it. And we're so excited to be able to have you on this platform um, to have this information out there for future parents. If you were going back through this process, Saba, what sort of questions would you ask now that maybe you didn't ask, but you would ask now that you know a lot more because you had some time in it? 
I mean, I would ask, uh, uh, like, uh, what, how do they start? How, how do they make, uh, is, 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 is their ABA program child-oriented? How do they make sure that child is comfortable? Do they make sure the child is comfortable? Are they forcing something on him that he's not comfortable is or pushing to him too hard? And also making sure that uh, you you are involved as a parent, like you you're informed like what is going on with your kid, and you're you're given access to his therapy in in one way or another. Yeah, and I love and appreciate the fact that you really. Um, have identified such a vital component to ABA services, which is having that parent involvement. Because at the end of the day, ABA providers should really be working themselves out of a job by working directly with our clients and their parents and teaching their parents. Because you're going to be his lifelong advocate and train him to be his own self-advocate. So it's just such a wonderful thing. to have you here and to be able to express your story. Um, now that your son is receiving ABA ser- therapy, in your experience, has it been effective for him and for you and your husband and your family? Yeah, it, it has been very effective. Uh, I would say like, I think with, uh, three months into the ABA therapy, he started ta- talking like words. Uh, they start with like reinforcement, giving reinforcement and like starting things that your kids are motivated to do. So he started saying pancakes because he loved pancakes. So they would do like picture exchange communication program with him. And he started saying pancakes. And I, I kind of questioned, like I had a brother who, I have a brother, not had. I have a brother who's like four years. Uh, he started talking at four. So he was speech delayed. So in my mind, like maybe Hisham is like that. Or maybe that's why he's speech delayed. And uh, I asked the therapist, like, is it AB or he just started talking on his own? <laughs> and now I know, no, 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 no. It, it is totally ABA. It's just like a lot of hard work that these therapists and BCBAs and these teams put in your ch- uh, child effort. Uh, and he's verbal. He talks to like he talks in like five, six word sentences. And uh, I mean, he's able to identify things he understands and he's able to communicate. So like that's, in my opinion, is like the biggest improvement because of ABA. Otherwise, I don't think I'd be able to have that in him that he's able to communicate in sentences. Goodness, and that must have felt so good the first time you heard him say pancake. Pancakes for everybody. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I literally, I questioned like, oh, is it ABA or is it, is it coming naturally? And like, it's just like so le- many levels of acceptance that you go through that you don't realize. Like, okay, no, this is ABA, and ABA is effective in that way. Oh my goodness, so wonderful to hear this experience. Were you hesitant or uncertain of ABA before starting? No, I was not because like the pediatrician I went to did a great job like calming me down and telling me like, oh, ABA is so effective. The parents who have it for a year, they're after a year, their kids are changed. They don't recognize their kids anymore. They're talking, they're thriving. So I, I felt good about it. I, 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 I didn't have any prior knowledge of autism or ABA. And now that I read books, like from, uh, I read a book uh, by Mary Barbera verbal behavior approach. She talks about like DDT and like how 
if it's like maybe in like 10 or 20 years from now if it's not as much child oriented as it is now but like i think parents should give it a try because like it works well what would you say are some of the the myths or um some information that you found on the internet that is not supportive of ADA that you, in your experience, you've had a completely different experience. Yeah, so uh, I think like it depends on what your experience is. Some parents are really against ABA and they say like ABA is not child oriented. They don't care about your kid, they're experimenting. It's like, I think at this stage, ABA is like approved strategy and it's very child oriented they keep your child in the center and they make sure that they are tailoring the whole therapy regarding your child's interest what his interest is what motivates him what are reinforcements that he can use so it's very kid friendly and it's very um I, 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 my son now, he's just like, he, he cannot handle a day without ABA. He's like, can we go back to the clinic? <laughs> so it's like, it's so kid friendly. So like, I, I would say like, ask questions, be skeptical. But uh, if, even if you're like skeptical, try it at least and see uh, the results for yourself. Right. And there are providers out there who are child-centered because reinforcement and individualizing those programs is really how it should be. And just because you come in contact with someone who is not providing in that way doesn't mean you have to stay with them. You can always look for someone that fits well with what you're looking for. Definitely. Definitely. What, um, what's a big goal that your son reached because of ADA? Oh, he, uh, uh, as I said, he's verbal now. He was nonverbal. He was, uh, I think both has like listening, listener skills and his uh, language have developed. Like it, it, it has exploded. Like he talks and talks and talks. Like, and for me, that's like the biggest thing because if your kid is able to communicate in a way that he can tell you what he needs, what's going on, it's just like it makes a whole world of difference. You don't have to guess anymore. You don't have to worry about like, okay, something's going on that I might not understand today, maybe tomorrow. So like having that communication, even if it's like uh, there are parents on online group who are just like so skeptical of facts. I, 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 I would say that my BCBA was so like, she's so good at like explaining things. She was like, we are started with we are starting with picture exchange communication program, but our goal is to make him like be able to say words and be able to speak. So like some parents are like worried that oh they are starting with picture exchange communication program, he's gonna get hooked on this and he's not gonna be able to like speak. So I would say like ask your therapist what are their goals like are they gonna transfer to verbal and are they gonna try to because like with picture exchange communication program what they're doing is constantly repeating words in front of your kids and so that's how they learn how to repeat them like 
Right. And it was one of the most mind blowing things for myself when I first entered this field was the difference between vocal and verbal communication and really verbal communication. We all engage in it a lot. Like when we um, point at something without saying something, we're actually verbally communicating. And that's really what the picture exchange communication system does is it makes that communication so easy for your son. And then over time, they start pairing it with the vocal communication. And that motivation is what's really necessary there. And I just think it's, it was so mind blowing for me to learn that we could verbalize without vocalizing and that that picture exchange system wasn't necessarily supposed to be forever for everybody. For some people it is, and that's okay. But for some people, it's that first step to vocalizing, like with your son. Yes. Yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't know the difference between verbal and vocal still learning. Yes, exactly. We're all still learning. And I, I, I actually make that error a lot still myself. And um, it, I continue, you know, that mind blowing emoji that they have. I, I feel like that is uh, sort of represents my state in ABAs. Every day I learn something new here. Um, right. And I would love to hear how it's benefited um his life maybe outside of the family home um, and how it's changed your lives in general. I know that the communication has meant so much. Um, has there been more uh, uh, benefits, uh, even though communication is a huge benefit? Yeah, of course, like uh, with his adaptive skills, with his motor skills, uh, like even just like going out, like uh for like when I moved to Georgia, I thought maybe it's just because of a new place, but we were unable to go to park because he wouldn't want to sit on the swing or he wouldn't want to go down the slide. And I thought like, oh, maybe it's a new place or new park. That's why he doesn't want to do this. But he was basically regressing in those skills. And because of ABA, I talked to my therapist like, oh, this is this is what happens every time we go to a park, he has a meltdown. And she started telling me like, how to build up on like, just take him there for 30 seconds and build up on it. And now he goes and he's like playing all over the place. He's going down slides. He's, go- he's taking swings. He's running around. And it's just like, it- being able to go out with him, even in grocery stores or in malls without having a meltdown. And also uh, with ABA, they also teach you like adaptive living skills. Like he's being able to drink from a cup, use a spoon. We've been able to potty train him because of ABA, because the therapists were so involved and they, they, they guided us to step by step everything. And like, I think it's just not just verbal. It's like overall, like your life, you feel like, oh, because of ABA, because of the coping mechanism, the therapist teaches you, your kid is doing fine, like outside verbal world, like communication world. And it sounds like you are a real partner in his ABA services. And to be able as a parent to know that you're not alone and when you're seeing things arise at home that you don't have to wait for an appointment with a pediatrician, but that your BCBA would love to hear what you're seeing so that they can work with you to problem solve and and give feedback on different ways to maybe address what you're seeing at home. 
uh, and not only like just address, they start helping me at clinic as well. Like I said, with body training, they were like, okay, let's start it at clinic. Like they did the heavy lifting. I was just like doing it at home partially. And every time he, he regressed and there was a goal, we weren't able to meet. Uh, I would talk to my BCBA and she would like guide me. Okay, let's try this and this. If this doesn't, doesn't work, maybe let's try doing this. Maybe you're doing something wrong here and let's focus on that. And like, I still, I remember like I told my BCBA like a few months ago, I told her like, oh, I took him to a park and it was so crowded that he said like, let's go home. And I said like, let's wait five, let, wait five minutes. And I feel so bad for making him wait five minutes because after five, five of those minutes, he had a meltdown because it was so crowded. And she was like, no, 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 you did the right thing because you don't want him to, uh, shape your behavior as in like whenever things are crowded or a little bit overstimulating you're leaving you want to shape his behavior so it's okay to wait a few minutes when he says go home and then go home <laughs> like so it's it's like it's it's really helpful i would say this like overall like in all aspects of uh, my kid's life so that is so fantastic. I would love to hear a little bit more about some of the goals. You um, had mentioned some of the adaptive living skills. Uh, a lot of times um, parents may not be aware that there's more goals that we work on in ABA than verbal goals or even adaptive living goals. Are there any other goals that, um, that you've either worked on or are working on that you didn't realize could be part of ABA and you're just so grateful that they are. Yeah, social skills, like they are working on social skills. I think because of uh, COVID and pandemic, uh, they put a halt on it. Otherwise, I think he would have progressed in that too by these six months, but like they're still started to work, work on those. Like what they do is like they would put uh, like uh, make sure that in a, a gym environment where another kid is playing, they would make them throw ball back and forth or just say hi or just tolerate a person like a kid near you for like five seconds. And it's like so amazing to see because like I'm telling you, like he wasn't even able to like uh, tolerate a kid near him. And now he's observing them. They teach, they teach him imitation skills as well. So he's copying everything we're saying or doing. And also like fine motor skills where they would play with him with sand or play-doh or stuff like that to kind of improve those fine motor skills or enhance those skills and because of that that his like eating habits have developed very better because he's able to use spoon or fork or a knife and I didn't know that oh this is so well-rounded that they would cover all these things as well. I know it's, it's kind of, uh, in my experience, when doing initial assessments with um, parents who are entering ABA, uh, they are often overwhelmed with how many questions that come with the assessments and are like, wow, you cover absolutely every aspect of the life. Um, is, was that your experience as well when you were um, entering an ABA company? 
you felt really overwhelmed. Was yeah. there any excitement or anything? I would love to hear about that. Yeah, I, I would tell you this. Like, I was worried, of course, because I also had like him assessed with early intervention services and he did got speech therapy to them as well. So I knew what kind of, I wasn't really anxious about it. The one thing that really made me nervous was like the BCBA was so worried when she was doing like a second assessment. <laughs> she was asking me this uh, VB map questions and like, she's like, oh, he doesn't do that. He hasn't lived with anyone else except you. <laughs> he has no social interactions. <laughs> He's not doing this. And I'd, like the look on her face was, I was like, oh my God, my child is so scared. They won't be able to do anything about <laughs> but like she 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 told me like she was like oh the first day you're like okay let's start so she was a little bit nervous herself but I could totally see that on her face and I I still kind of like laugh about it like okay I was she was more worried than I was because she has to do all the heavy lifting and all the work <laughs> right. and we're, we're all humans supporting humans yes <laughs> Oh my goodness, that's fantastic. And um, so I just think it's so important uh, to highlight the importance of parent participation. And I would really love to hear about your experience um, participating in ABA and if you had to ask for it or if it just sort of naturally came with the provider that you selected. Uh, so, uh, I mean, uh, they, they, uh, the provider that I selected, they, they did say like, okay, we'll do like parent training uh, once a week, but I didn't know how effective it was because like he's having tantrum over something and I'm asking them like, oh no, this behavior is getting worse. And they're like, keep doing what we're trying to, to tell you to do because like behavior gets worse before they get better and they would get better and I was like oh this is so helpful like any little problem that I'll have at a home that I don't know how to deal with I'll just ask them during parent training like every week and they still guide me uh, and we're still going through that process and it's very helpful Right. Isn't that the beautiful thing about our kiddos is that they give us an opportunity to continue learning and growing, too. It's not just about them growing. It's about all of us growing. Yeah, because like ABA is like basically it, it, it tackles behavior. Right. So like the most fascinating thing that I've learned is like, OK, if you reward a behavior, it will go up. And if you withhold reinforcement, the behavior goes down. And this is like so fascinating for me as well. And I have learned a lot about, like it gives you as a parent patience and understanding of your kid, like, okay, this is what's going on. That's why we need to deal like, even with like a child meltdown or a tantrum, you know, like, oh, what is the function? Is he trying to get attention? Is he uh, trying to communicate? Is he trying to access something? Is it like sensory? It's just like so much learning goes into it. And the more you learn, I think the more accept accepting of your kid's behavior you become because like you understand what's going on behind the scenes and what what's going on with the nervous system and stuff like that so yeah and something that I truly love about ABA is that it takes the emotion and judgment out of what's going on because the reality is in ABA the organism's always right so the environment is really supporting the behavior and it's a whole family change it's not just a child change it's a whole family movement and like you said it makes it almost easier to accept as a parent like this is no one's fault this is just the way it is and guess what there's scientific 
methods and procedures for addressing it through the function. Definitely, definitely. Well, I think that I really appreciate you going into depth about the parent experience. And I would really love to hear a little bit about um, some of the coping mechanisms that you engage in as a parent. Because throughout the interview, you've done such an excellent job of sharing your experience. And it is, it is just an overwhelming process that includes grieving and having to engage in all of this proactive communication and um, coordinating and collaborating. And as a parent, how do you take care of yourself during this process? So um, I would say this, like as a parent, especially in a public place, it's really hard to not be embarrassed when something happens. Like if your kid is like crying or they're having a meltdown, I tell myself, okay, these people I'm not gonna see again. <laughs> like, so there's no need to be embarrassed. Let's try to figure out how to solve this situation. There's still that uh, element that I see in so many sport groups that I've joined online. I would say like my coping mechanism is I engage so much on Facebook in social groups and sport groups that it's just like, okay, it's like, I'm your sport, you're my sport, and let's talk about it, how to deal with it. And when you learn like, oh, there are so many parents who go through this, so it, it normalizes it a little bit more. So my coping mechanism is like, sometimes I'm just like, okay, it is what it is. And there's no way I can deal with the meltdown now. Like it, it's past that point where I can deal it. Let's just go home. And sometimes there are, there were times that I would have in a park, he'd have a meltdown and I'll have to just like pick him up and follow through what I set the goal for like, oh, three more minutes and then we're leaving. So it's like, it's, it's like the embarrassment part that still I kind of a little bit struggle with, but I've learned like, it's okay. Like, yeah, that's, it is what it is. <laughs> right, and having that peer group of your own to be able to check in with and see that this is a shared experience, again, helps take that judgment and blame out that as parents, we so quickly jump to because, you know, we're just, we want the best for our kiddos. And ABA helps with that. Exactly. And like, okay, so you had one bad experience and you talk to your therapist or you read about it or you go to a sport group and you learn like, okay, what can you do to prevent it? Or even if it happens, like how to deal with it betterly. So it's like, it's a learning process and it's okay to like go through with that. Right. We are socialized in society to believe that failures or challenges are unexpected when the reality is that life successes come from those failures. And so being comfortable with having those less than pleasant experiences and knowing that you have resources like your support group and your ABA team to check in with um, really takes the pressure off of you as a parent. Yeah, definitely. And it's just like, it's, uh, as you said, it's like a support system that you have. And, you know, like, you're so blessed to have all that support around you to deal with, like, all these anxiety and, you know, it's the anxiety and it, it does come with it, it comes and goes. But like, if you have like good therapists, if you have support system, if you're talking to someone, then you'll be able to get to it. And as you said, like failures are expected in life. You can't just like uh, avoid failures, like failures happen. And that's how you learn like, oh, that's that's not what I'm supposed to do. 
right? You can identify where that behavior changes. And because you have an ABA team, you don't have to do it on your own. You can check in and ask for support when you want it. Definitely, yes. Well, Saba, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. And we would love to end this interview off by asking you for one last piece of advice for any parents who are new to ABA or thinking about potentially checking in with their uh, pediatrician. What would be some advice that you would give? I would say like, look forward, don't look back, don't beat yourself up like, oh, I should have listened to my pediatrician back then or this. Okay, now that you realize like, okay, I need a diagnosis, just work towards and like keep looking forward in future and keep thinking of ways you can help your kid. And like, that's how you get to it. So don't beat yourself up over fast, just like move forward with the future and keep future in your eyes. Like, okay, I'm working on this and I'll be able to get this where and celebrate milestones that you do achieve. Celebrate the small stuff. Well, Saba, it was an absolute pleasure to get to interview you today. Thank you again for sharing your story with us. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This has been a Cadient production.